Good evening and welcome to Pastor's Class as we continue this study of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Tonight we'll be in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, His return, the Antichrist and His role, and the grand story of how things will end. You may find that when we're done tonight that you have more questions than maybe you found answers. However, there is a main idea that we're going to draw from this passage, and that's that we can face the future without fear. Because God gives us a glimpse into the future so that we can live hopefully and expectantly in the present. This world right now may seem somewhat chaotic and as if everything is just random and even just falling apart. Is it? Sometimes you might think, does God really have control of what's going on? But we know that our sovereign God is at work in the midst of our creation and has a plan and a story that he's not only written the beginning and the middle, we're not only living through his story, but we know how the story ends. And so we'll look to that tonight as Christians with hope expecting uh, what the Lord has for us. Now we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll do verses 1 through 12. And so well, I'll, I'll just pick out some phrases as we unpack it, but I would like to pray for us before we jump into 1 Thessalonians 2. Heavenly Father, may these few moments in your word be of encouragement to us today as we live through these times, knowing that you are a sovereign God in control of all things and knowing that you are working them for your good and for your glory. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So if you have your notes there, we have a handout for you that you can find there in the comments uh, that we will walk through this text. And again, just by word of acknowledgement, acknowledgement we use the Christ-centered exposition Bible series uh, on this, uh, these two books. And so the outlines that we use are based on that, sometimes directly from it, sometimes we alter them a little bit. But that's where we're getting a lot of what we're talking about here in these studies. But for this uh, study tonight, the first main point, the first big heading, is that deception distorts reality. Deception distorts reality. False teaching is a problem. It's a major concern in the church. It can create much heartache if you believe something that's not true. That's why we must be careful what we believe and what we know, that's why we spend so much time teaching and talking about doctrine and thinking about what we believe because our beliefs matter. Because there's something bad, uh, dangerous, in fact, if you believe false things. Think about it like this. If you've ever tried to fix something at your house, and oftentimes if I want to fix something that I think is within the realm of my capabilities, I go to the vast vault of knowledge of YouTube. When I pull up a YouTube video, I try to learn how to fix whatever item it is. But it can be dangerous if you pick the wrong thing to fix. You might break what you're trying to fix, or what oftentimes happens to me is spend hours and dollars fixing something that's not even actually broken. You might be working on the wrong part. The, the idea here is that if you spend a lot of your energy on something uh, false that's not really the problem, then you waste your time and potentially end up damaging things more. The same is true for false information or false belief about the Lord. If you are 
off on the wrong track or believing wrong things, you're wasting your time. For example, let's just use the gospel for example. The gospel of works says that if you do enough good things, then you will earn God's favor. And so you spend your time trying to earn God's favor, working and working and doing good things. But the Bible says that it actually works in reverse. The more you worked on work to try to earn his favor, the more you're, you're actually pushing away his grace and pushing him away. What, what the Bible calls for is this humble understanding that you're a sinner and calling on the Lord Jesus to save you. You see how false gospel, false information, bad doctrine creates heartache and in your life, in my life, can even put us on a path of brokenness. The same is true here for this subject matter, dealing with the return of Christ. Now we looked at this in 1 Thessalonians 4, talking extendedly about the return of Christ, and he warned them. He actually used the phrase, he says, Brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed uh, about those who are asleep. He knows that, that there is misinformation going on about the return of Christ. Christ. And in verse 3, he warns against being deceived in this area. And the confusion is around the fact whether Christ has returned already and you missed it or whether it's coming down the road. There seems to be some concern that Christ has already come back and you've missed it and you're caught in something different. Now before we jump into uh, the actual consternation that comes from these false beliefs, I want to just talk about one simple distinction that can be had over this. Uh, there, as we approach this text tonight, there's different ways to look at when Christ will return. He could return at what we might call a pre-tribulation view at the very beginning of the years of tribulation, these seven years, uh, or he could come back in a post-tribulation view. And so these believers could have, if they, bought, if they believe it pre-trib, that he's going to return at the beginning, they could believe they missed it, and now they're caught up in the tribulation period. Uh, this is somehow some concern that they are in this tribulation period, and they missed the return of Christ. Or this post-tribulation period, they believe he's coming later, and they feel like they're caught up in this time of apostasy, and they didn't think they were going to live in it. Either way, the problem was they thought Jesus had already come. They had somehow missed his return, and the Bible's teaching on this had been messed up for them and messed them up in several ways. So here's the sub-points of how it might mess you up. That false teaching robs us of our peace. When they got false information in the return of Christ, it had bothered them so much they couldn't have peace. Quickly they were alarmed. Look there in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus... And our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or, I mean, this sounds kind of fantastic, this might happen, that, that there might be a letter that seeming to come from Paul. There might be somebody faking a letter to the church to the effect that the day of the Lord, and here's what I'm talking about, the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one deceive you in any way. So there seems to be some misinformation, and it's coming from all different ways. People are spreading the idea that Jesus' return has already happened. When He's going to say it's not. And this has caused them to be quickly shaken, or as the Bible says, alarmed. They're, 
they're disturbed by this false truth. And false teaching could have this effect on us is they didn't have enough knowledge built into their knowledge of, of the return of Christ so that when somebody threw something out, they went with it. But, but most of you, if you've been in church very long, if I told you Jesus has already come, you'd be like, nah, that hasn't happened. I know more about the Bible than, than this. And, and so here they are, concerned this may have happened, and uh, they're worried about it. And when, when you don't know enough doctrine, you haven't learned enough about the Bible, it makes you unstable, and, and people are able to sway you and shift your thinking. Have you ever had a symptom? Like you, you've been... You get sick, I mean, right now with coronavirus, this may happen to you too, or you have some sort of headache or some sort of symptoms show up, and, and you decide that the best way to handle it is to take it to Google. You go to WebMD, you find that in the list of symptoms, your symptom is there, and before you know it, your deep knowledge of the medical field, you have diagnosed yourself with some sort of terminal cancer, and you have two weeks to live. I mean. You, you can take a symptom or some sort of truth and without a clear base of knowledge, walk down all kinds of terrible roads to get yourself all mixed up. This is why you knowing doctrine and knowing the key truths of the faith is so important. It will stabilize you so you won't be easily alarmed by any truth that shows up. And so in, for, in order for us to be stabilized, not easily alarmed or shaken, we, we need to know and uh, remember the doctrine we have learned because we can forget. That's the second uh, sub-point here of this first one is that false teaching ruins our perspective because we often forget things. See, there's a danger in our minds in remembering the truths we've been given. Our, our minds work like a leaky bucket and some of you guys feel this more than others but it's as if things are always falling out as things come in. But the Bible knows this uh, almost better than we do in knowing that we need constant reminder. Look at verse 5 of chapter 2. He says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And so he's saying, I, when I was there, we went over this stuff. You should know it. And so he's saying, you're easily shaken because this stuff's coming in. He said, but do you understand? I've already been over this with you. You knew this truth already. You see, there's something... Uh, helpful about the constant repetitious work of learning truths in the Bible. And we need it because we forget. So we as Christians must not only just be okay with repetition and teaching, we should appreciate it and know we need it. So sometimes you hear a lesson and think, okay, I've heard this one before. I, I know this truth. And you, you somewhat bore or tire of it. Maybe it's even in your quiet time or wherever it might be. But you understand your mind needs to constantly hear that message over and over again so that you remember truth because you're going to forget it. So that's why you need uh, to listen to weekly preaching and teaching. You need to be a part of the local church and listening to the Bible being taught. You need to be repeatedly, every single day, exposed to the Bible again and again and again. You're always putting that in your mind so that you remember these truths because these believers had forgotten them. And so false teaching has this way about destabilizing us and causing us to forget things we remember. The way we counter that is that we make sure we know doctrine and that we're constantly remembering these 
things. Now, let's talk a little bit more about the content of this passage, speaking particularly, particularly about the rebellion that will intensify in history. See, man is sinful, and man has rebelled against God. And we find ourselves here in chapter 2 with a fairly challenging text. Uh, there are some things here that I'm not going to answer simply because the Bible doesn't give full answers. But I will do my best to give as clear a picture from the Bible as I can. It, it seems as if uh, this text doesn't fill in all the gaps of explaining every component. And I believe the Bible does that. It gives you what you need to know. So if it doesn't tell you, you're not supposed to know. You should trust the Bible. And so we ask, what is Paul's main point in this text? I'll give it to you and then we'll read. Um, his main point is that the day of the Lord has not yet got here. Look at verse 3. He says, for the day of the Lord will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So they've been deceived, thinking the day of the Lord has been here. And now he's saying, he's saying the day of the Lord will not come unless these things happen. He's also, you know, what he's giving here is going to be a preview of what is to come. A preview, you go see a movie preview, you get pieces of it. If you got to see the whole movie in a preview, you wouldn't go to the movie. So you're not going to get every answer about the end times. You're going to get enough to tell you that, hey, there's a movie coming. And so what he's going to say here is, look, I, I'm not going to tell you every detail, but I'm going to give you enough to know that the day of the Lord is coming. So let's look at uh, what we can know. And there's really three events we should know about from the text. Now, it doesn't always tell us about the timing. So I, I'm not going to try to unpack all that. that. That's maybe found in the context of other verses. I'm not going to talk about uh, the timing of all these to, for tonight, just for the sake of time. I would prefer to spend it on the text and speak about each of these three events. The first one is the coming apostasy. There is an apostasy, a rebellion that is coming. Look at it there in verse 3. I just read it. For the day... But that day will not come unless, and that's what he says, the rebellion comes first. So this rebellion is some, some Bible translations will call it the apostasy. That means abandoning of a position. That's taking one spot and coming off of that, choosing another direction. Here we're speaking uh, maybe not of a time that will be marked, uh, by just one person, we're talking about a massive rebellion of people. And this is a turning away from God, and this is a blatant, forceful, anti-God rebellion. It, it, it will probably be marked by a global movement to be anti-against God and Christ. And it's fueled by the deception of Satan. He's the one energizing this and deceiving. The two are tied together between Satan and then what we're going to talk about here, this man of lawlessness or the Antichrist as we would call him. This man of lawlessness is coming and so we know he'll be there. Look at verse 9 and 10. The coming of the lawlessness one, lawless 
one is by the activity of Satan. So this man who's going to come is going to be done by the activity of Satan and all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So this man of lawlessness and this uh, lawless one that is coming, they're tied to this rebellion of man. So before we get to the Antichrist, just simply think about how man is completely rebelling against God. We see traces of it now, but it will build to the point where it is this rebellion of mankind altogether. And it will be a rebellion that's even different because he's saying that when the rebellion comes and the Antichrist has to come before this absolute total rebellion against God himself. Now notice, not only is this uh, apostasy or rebellion against God, but now let's talk about, the second thing here, is that the rise of the Antichrist, this man of lawlessness. There will be the rise of this man who is completely against Christ. So, who is the Antichrist? Who is he? There's a few things we can know and a few we don't. So, again, it's a preview, so let's work off the preview. I think sometimes uh, where people have gotten in trouble with this subject is when they start trying to read what's in the movie before it's released. We, we need to be careful here not to jump too far. So what do we know? The first one, this man is lawless, meaning that God, that he despises everything about God's law. He, uh, he's... Um, Everything that Christ is, is not. So he's um, anti-Christ. He's against the law that Christ would have been to fill, fulfill. There's, he, destruction is another thing that's marked uh, in this man's life. He's uh, the son of destruction. So his destruction is terrible. Now here's what's interesting is that both we as mankind and our sin are lawless. Uh, so that description kind of fits the sinful, rebellious man, and destruction is our destiny just like it will be for this man. And so much of what the Antichrist, we think he's this just way terrible person, actually represents the depravity of mankind and what we already have in us. But he's also opposed. See, he's marked about, he's marked by being against Christ. So he's against the rebellion against God himself. So let's talk a little bit about why he's the Antichrist. What is he marked by? So I just want to roll through. These are a few things that were written in the study in, Christ -centered, in the Christ-Centered Exposition Commentary. I'll read them to you because I think it's helpful. He is marked uh, by things being against Christ. So here's what he would say. God established his law. He is the lawless one. God stands for creation. He is the son of destruction. God demands worship. He sits in the sanctuary, in God's sanctuary. Uh, God declares truth. He peddles unrighteous deception. Jesus was revealed from heaven. He will be revealed from earth. Jesus will come from the, his church, come for his church. He will come in Satan's power. You see, he is the true Antichrist. He is against Christ. So let me read 
a little bit more to you, starting in verse 3 again. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, the son of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. Again, like I said, he is against God, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And you know what is restraining him now. Verse 6, so that he may be revealed in time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless, lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. This is the description of this anti-Christ. And we need to be careful when we start guessing who he is. Historically, people have tried to guess that he's Hitler or that he's another person that's a world leader that's anti-God. You know, in our humble attempts, we need to know that we won't know his name. His name's probably not Nikolai Carpathia or whoever else we might come up with. Uh, we don't know who this man is. We just know what he will be like. So, so be careful. Don't build an unhealthy fixation on the Antichrist. Um, while we believe there is an Antichrist, to come, we can't sit around guessing at who he might be. We need to be careful as, uh, I think with some humility, realizing that there have been lots of anti-God movements in all of history, and it's easy to have thought of many people in history, and so there, there may be someone being raised up, but we don't know that until the time comes. Because you see, every age has a spirit of the Antichrist. M meaning that this spirit of rebellion, as it says here, is around now. So we can see people and leaders living in the spirit of the Antichrist even today. And the Bible says that it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. So then you say, well, this leader's worse than the leader was before. Well, yeah, because things are getting worse. So you can't just say, well, I know it's getting worse, then it's definitely here. In humility, we have to say, it is coming, but we we got to be careful about picking today, because you can pick today and then tomorrow comes, and you're like, well, it wasn't, wasn't this guy, or wasn't this spot. We just know it's coming, the Spirit is here, and... We, we can know that it's going to be increasing as we go into the days ahead because of the sinfulness of man. Now, what does it mean when it says he sits um, on the temple? Uh, he sets himself up as this object of worship, takes his seat in the temple of God. Some people think that would be in Jerusalem. Again, I, the temple of God, we might could guess there. There's other theories of where it might be. Ultimately, he's going to set himself up as God to be worship, worshipped. And he'll be able to do supernatural things. You see, in the power of Satan, he may be able to do some activity. Satan does have power. He, he is able to do some things when allowed in this world. And so this, this man will be able to do some 
extraordinary things beyond what the normal person would probably be doing. That will all be a part of this um, antichrist that is coming. Notice how he mimics Christ. He, he came just like Christ came. He, he says the coming of the antichrist. Uh, just like Christ was empowered by God, he's empowered by Satan's working. He's going to work false miracles just like Christ worked true miracles. You see, his, his purpose is to deceive those who are perishing while Jesus' purpose was to save and to breathe the, be the truth for those who are perishing. So, there's the apostasy coming. There's the end, this lawless one who's to come. But then, then the third component here is there will be a removal of restraint. There's a restrainer that's holding this back. And so I want, I want to read it to you here in verse 6 and 7. And you know what is restraining him. Now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains, he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. So, what does it mean that there's a restrainer? This is meant to be an encouragement. Their thought is the day of the Lord has already come. Christ has already come. He says, no, no, no. This time is, is being held back. There's a, there's a limiter. There's a restrainer placed on whether this uh, Antichrist will come. And who is the restraint? Some might think it's a government or a nation. Even some think it might be a, a leader or a person here on earth. Even some people have argued Satan is the restrainer. However, it's interesting that the restrainer is described both as the, an it. Notice what it says, and you know what is restraining. So it's, it's, it's kind of a force. And then it, it also describes it as a who. Who now restrains it at the end of that verse? So we have a who and a what. And the best explanation I know of any of that is that the Holy Spirit of God is both a what and a who. And no matter how you see this working, God is declaring this plan. So who is the ultimate orchestrator of, of being the restrainer? It's God himself. So we have to know that even if there were was a secondary force person restraining it. We know that ultimately God's the one making this promise, so he's got to be the one making sure it happens in his time. And so the, there is a restrainer holding this back to give these believers comfort that God will work his plan in his time, at his moment, how he has uh, planned the whole time to do it. And so if there's an encouragement for you today, is that there's some mystery behind what's go going to happen and how this will all play out. However, we can know that there's a full story written by how God's going to work things. And so we can trust that God who's worked all that out to work things out now. The entire age is operating uh, under God's sovereign rule. So here's our, here's our last thing, our third kind of major point, is that God controls our destiny. He will be the one who ultimately controls how we see the world. He controls our destiny. You see, at the very end, the Antichrist is destroyed. He, he doesn't last long when Jesus shows up. And the, the true king is coming. I hope this verse is encouraging to you because I want you to see how easy it is for Jesus 
to come in and to rule. This guy seems powerful. There's a huge rebellion on the planet. There's this, uh, this uh, man who's doing miracles and setting himself up like God. And listen to how verse 8 describes it. Whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. When Jesus appears, he will bring this man's power to nothing. Literally gone. Everything that seems like it's built, absolutely gone. And listen to how simple it is. The breath of his mouth. That's how easy it'll be for Jesus to, to rule and to reign. To take over this seemingly global power. Think about the force of what you do with the breath of your mouth. Think about like a bubble. My kids like to blow bubbles. A bubble's floating in the air, or maybe it lands on the back of your hand, and you think, I want to pop it. And you think the force of your breath popping that bubble will be, think about how hard that is for you. It's not hard. It's almost nothing to you. And, and the point of the Bible here saying that just simply the breath of Jesus can destroy the Antichrist, it's to remind you that every aspect of all of creation is under the absolute sovereign power of God and his seat in the sanctuary is his alone and when this man sets up to be ruler and to be worshipped he's ousted his final places in the lake of fire and Jesus is the one who will reign over all of creation so we must be careful even in the chaos of this world do you understand even in the great power that will be sought and thought about here with this antichrist that literally by the breath of Jesus he'll come in and take over all creation be encouraged that, that no matter what you see today, that Jesus is king. And so the last thing he is, uh, after, after he comes in and takes care of the Antichrist, the rebellious are judged. He judges those who are rebellious. Now, it's easy to blame Satan for everything. You know, you say, Satan, Satan's fault. It's easy to blame the demon's fault. It might even be easy to blame the Antichrist. But here the blame for our sin and the responsibility for it lays solely on us. Uh, judgment is coming because we didn't believe the truth. Look with me in verse 10 through 12. Because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. They, they refused. People. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. All are condemned who did not believe the truth themselves. Now I know that this Antichrist and the spirit of Satan, the father of lies, are out to deceive us. But when the Bible gets down to the very end, it's down to the fact you didn't believe the truth. Even though we're sold lies, we, we bought them as well. We're the ones who chose to believe these things. So be careful blaming someone else. Because when you blame someone else, that actually leaves you hopeless. Because the only way it could change is if Satan quit telling you lies. But that's not the Bible. You're not dependent upon whether Satan lies to you less. You are, by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, able to repent and believe on him. So, so we're not in a hopeless spot. We're in a hopeful spot 
that we can believe and not face this final judgment. And one final warning here. I'll leave with this warning. It says that God himself, notice what it says, sends them to a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. It's a strange phrase. It echoes of Romans 1, who God gave them over to their passions and their desires. And so how do you handle it? Is it that God now will, once we sin for a terribly long time, will eventually quit pursuing us and give us over to our sinful passions? Or is it that because creation waited so long and rebelled against him so long, he gave them over to this antichrist, the one who would lie and deceive to creation. Either way, no matter which how you see that, there is a warning that today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. Do not rest in sin because there does come a point where ultimately you're given over to the deception. And God, the day of salvation, the day of opportunity closes, whether that's at your death, whether that's at the, the Antichrist uh, being at work, whatever it might be, whether it's even before then, that somehow there's work, in, that work where the Lord gives people over. However that's applied, there's a warning to us as Christians that the window, or the warning to, uh, to us that are not Christians, there is a window of belief. Today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. Be of courage. God has a plan, but, it, but place your faith in the Lord Jesus now. Don't wait. Place your faith in him today. Turn from your sin and trust the Lord Jesus to save you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great hope of the scriptures and the hope of what we know is to come. Give us, let us be people of hope and boldness in this world and use this passage today to give us great confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.